from Philippians 2, 1 through 18. And it says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am bit to be poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, when preparing a sermon or a talk, it's always good to be prepared. This is not a confession that I'm not prepared. One of the things that you do is you, when you're working on a sermon, is you try and see what maybe other folks have said about this particular passage. You look in commentaries, or maybe you look at other people's sermons. Now that's after, hopefully, you have dug into the Word yourself. You have allowed God to speak in it to penetrate your own heart. You have, if you're able, looked at the original language tried to figure out what words mean what and where they are. And there's definitely some words in this that you look at and say, oh, so Christ emptied himself out, emptied himself of God, divinity, what does that mean? And it's always good to go back to the original language and see if there's something different there that might be talked about. But you also want to hold the newspaper or the internet in your hand so that you can look at what's going on in the world around you and see how this passage maybe relates to what you're talking about and what is going on in the world today. So I went to someone who we would not 
necessarily think is a great theologian. Someone who some of you probably have never heard of. Because maybe you're a little too young, or maybe you're a little too old. I went to Bobby Brown, the R&B New Jack singer. Because he provides for us the opposite of what this passage is in his 1988 song, My Prerogative. Let me just quote the great theologian Bobby Brown for you. Everybody's talking all this stuff about me. Why don't they just let me live? I don't need permission. Make my own decisions. That's my prerogative. It's the way that I want to live. That's my prerogative. I can do just what I feel. That's my prerogative. No one can tell me what to do because I do what I want to do because that's my prerogative. Perhaps you've never heard that. Let me recommend this. Don't go look it up. Oh, 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 oh. Anyway. Now, I think when we think about that song and we hear it, we normally will go arrogant, full of himself. It's your prerogative. You get to do what you want to do, live the life you want to live, your prerogative. It's just blatant. It's out there, and it's just full on. And so it's easy for us to recognize that and go, oh, you you can't possibly live your life that way. But as I was thinking about this passage and what it means to have joy in living for others, it's interesting that if you look at this movement that is happening in the world today where we talk about self-love and knowing yourself more fully and understanding yourself, that there's a movement that says we have to stand up for ourselves. Think only of yourself first, because if you don't think of yourself first, then it's hard for you to live for other people's. Take care of yourself. You're the most important person that you know. Now, that's not as bold as my prerogative. And it rings somewhat true in our ears that, yeah, if I'm not taking care of myself, if if I'm not being true to myself, then I can't possibly be true or good to all those around me. But what ends up happening in that place is we begin to really focus on ourselves. We begin to elevate ourselves more and more. And we begin to, in our minds, say to ourselves and in our hearts begin to believe, if it's not good for me, and it's not right for me, then I don't have to do it. That's my prerogative. That if it doesn't sound right to me, and it doesn't feel right to me, and it doesn't make me happy, then it's something I can just push aside. If it's something that makes me angry, then it must be something that is wrong. And if it's something that makes me happy, then it must be something that's right. Because I have become the arbiter and the decider of everything that is right and true within myself. Because it is good for me. It's my prerogative. I can do what I want to do. It's my prerogative. I'll live the way I want to live. Now, let me say, the consequences of that sometimes are flourishing. There is definitely places in our lives where we maybe need to take a little time to focus on our own health, our own benefit. We need to focus that maybe we've poured ourselves out too much in areas and have become codependent, that we only find 
who we are in what other people's opinions are of us. And so it's good to focus sometimes. But it can also lead to tragic consequences. Even this week, yet again, in my birth country, look, there's all sorts of things that's wrong in that situation where this school shooting happened. But one of the things that's definitely wrong is that person felt that they were the most important person. That what they thought and what they felt was just their prerogative. They can live how they want to live. And so we have to be careful when we walk this path of self-empowerment and self-assurance. Because we believe that it's what's going to cause us joy. But I would dare say that as we look at this passage, we see a different path altogether. And it's a path that we can only recognize through Christ Jesus. That the reality is this. That true humanness is expressed fully in humility, in obedience through love, and in unity together as people. Look, Paul comes into this passage and he is talking to them about how they should be living. But not really how they should be living. He's letting them know that this life is already present. You'll catch it in just a minute. He says this, So if there is any encouragement, let me stop there just for a second, that word if. We hear the word if, and do we think that's a certainty, or when we hear if, do we think it is something that might happen? Something that might happen, right? If. If if this happens. If this. My dad used to say if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. That means that they don't necessarily happen. That's not what this word is. <laughs> the English word doesn't give us what it actually is. The word itself for if is if and it is. There is a certainty that this is reality. That this is not some pipe dream or something that might happen. It is that it exists. It is real. So, it should read like this. So, since... So, because there is encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, since there is affection and sympathy, now you can complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and with one mind. What Paul sets out for us, for the Philippians and for us today, is a framework an understanding of the reality that we've moved into. That when we move into Christ Jesus, we are no longer our own. And that these things are true of us. That we do have encouragement since we are in Christ. That we do have comfort in the love that God brings to us. That we are participating together with the Spirit. That we can have affection and sympathy. And not just can, we do have sympathy and affection for one another. And that we don't just think of ourselves, 
but we have the same mind, the same love. We live with accord with one another. Now, then he says, don't do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Bobby Brown was on to something because the words there for ambition and conceit are prerogative. Don't do anything from your own prerogative. How you want to live. But think about others and the needs that they have and the places where they need to be met. Their interests. How many of you hear that and go, I would prefer the English word if. <laughs> because I certainly feel like that's not the reality that I live in. Or maybe you feel this way. That might be the reality I live in, but it's certainly not the reality of all those other church people and all those other places that I see. Yeah. Sometimes that's the case. But what Paul's reminding the church in Philippi and what he's reminding us of is that while perception might be there, you see through the glass dimly. While the perception might be what you think is reality, the reality is on the other side. And that God has already instilled this in you. Why? Because you are in Christ. We see that clearly by this amazing statement. Have this mind among yourselves. Okay, that's something we should attain to, right? Something we should move to. Have this mind among yourself. Listen. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is a possessive yours. Possessive means you have it already. Have this mind about you in Christ that is yours already in Christ Jesus. That you have it. That you hold on to it. So, we're about to walk into this beautiful hymn about who Christ Jesus is. We're about to step into this beautiful, magnificent thing that should make those of us who are believers, who are followers of Christ, our hearts should leap with excitement as we read it. And for those of you who are trying to figure this thing out, it should challenge you and make you go, wait a minute, this is amazing. It should inspire awe. But I think sometimes what it does for us is we think that it sets an example for us. That, that it sets a thing that we should attain to. Listen to what he says about Jesus. Who, though he was the form of God, or though he was God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Now that word empty doesn't mean that he got rid of being God, that he got rid of being divine, that he said, nope, no longer God, now just a man. What it says is that he put aside all that is his prerogative by being God. That is God, the creator of the world, the one who sustains it and holds it, the one who is holy and high. He has certain prerogatives. What Jesus does is he empties himself of those prerogatives. He has set it aside. So he doesn't say, I'm no longer God. He says, I'm going to set aside my prerogative to be God aside. 
and empties himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He thought of others. He knew what was needed for salvation. He knew what was needed in his ever-increasing, ever-loving pursuit of us to make us whole in our relationship with him, with ourselves, with others in place. He knew, and so he came to serve. He came to seek those who were lost. He came pursuing us. He set aside his prerogative of being God and became the word there is servant, it's actually the word slave, bound to God, bound to the mission, not able to get away. A servant can leave, a servant can be released, a slave cannot. He was bound to it, completely and utterly. It became all of his purpose, all of his thrust was to bring this amazing thing. And so we should sit back and go, glory. We can't sit back and go, okay, if that's what I need to do, so how much of that self-giving do I need to do? Like, what does it look like for a human to do self-giving? <laughs> right? Like, is it like three-quarters of what Jesus did? Is it a half of what Jesus Is it like every other day and Sunday that we do it and we're good? We can so quickly make it into a system or a doctrine or a, a program that we have to accomplish. But what Paul reminds us of is, have this mind about you, that you have already in possession in Christ Jesus. We have it. It has been done and is being done in us, even though we wrestle with it, even though in our flesh we argue with it. God makes it happen. And he moves us into that place with him. Now, here's the beautiful thing that even lifts it even higher. Because it's just amazing that God would set aside his prerogative to be God, to be made like a man. Then he dies on a cross. Then he is raised from the dead. And Jesus is said to be this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, when we hear this, we think, oh, so he gets a reward, right? That's good. I mean, I'd die too if I got a reward like that. Everybody's going to worship me. That's not what it's saying there. I know that's what the English sort of makes us feel like it's saying there. But what it's saying is he is returned, he is returned to what he already possessed. He is returned to the truth of who he is. That he picks up his prerogative to be the one who is the name that at, at that name every knee bows and every tongue confesses. He had it all along. So yes, there is a sense of obedience that is happening and there is this reward that it appears to take place. But it is reminding us that he was always that way. And that he now puts it back on and receives it. 
Lynn Cochin, in her commentary on this, reminds us in this section, this part where we've been reminded that we in Christ already have the same love, the same spirit, the ability to have sympathy and affection for one another, that joy reigns supreme for us, that we have the mind of Christ within us. Why? Because we live within Christ. Reminds us of this. That the church's life is freed to be the church by the breath of the Spirit, the blood of Jesus, the mind of Christ, and the will of the Father. That it is in those things that the church manifests the life of God in unity as Christ's body. What we see here is the beautiful trinity, the Trinitarian aspect of our Father, that it is Jesus and the Father, Jesus the Son, the Father and the Holy Spirit, working in concert the beautiful dance that we then are invited into. And so it moves us to a place where our true humanness, remember Jesus became a human. And in his humanity, he expresses to us the ideal, but also empowers us to be all that we can be in our true humanness, in humility and obedience through love and in unity. How do we know it's obedience for us? Well, Paul's talking to the Philippian church here. And after this beautiful hymn, he goes on to tell them this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Coming off of this hymn, talking about Christ's obedience, what does he say to the church in Philippi? You have always obeyed. He knows they've not always obeyed. Is he lying to them? Is he just building them up? No. He recognizes their obedience rests fully in Christ's obedience. So our striving becomes rest. So our duty becomes devotion. When we recognize that we are obeying. Ah, but then he says this. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, can we just skip that? Doesn't that go against everything you were just saying, Pastor Lee? We rest in Christ. Christ has done it all. His obedience is there. We have the mind of God. Now you're going to tell us, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. But here are the eight things you need to do. No. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling is living into the reality that is. Working out your salvation in fear and trembling is not you attaining, or much like Jesus, grasping to his godness. For him, it was knowing that he already was and putting it aside. For us, it is knowing that we are already saved. And so we are stepping into it, moment by moment, day by day. And it should cause fear and trembling. 
because we know how much we like our place. We recognize how much we want to be the one that gets honored. Or we want to be the one that is recognized. Or we want to be the one that gets credit, at least, for doing a little bit of this. And so for us to step into the place of fully accepting there's nothing I could ever do to get me to this place. It is all through God's mercy and grace, his loving pursuit. It should cause fear and trembling in our hearts. It shouldn't make us haughty and proud. But sometimes when we look at this mind of Christ as a thing that we should attain to, then that's what it does. Because we think, I'm getting there, I'm almost close enough to really say that I have the mind of Christ. (laughs) But when we recognize we do already possess it because God has given it to us out of His free loving grace and for His good pleasure, I can never be haughty about it. I must stand and recognize. Look, obedience, obedience is not a list for us to accomplish. It is a relationship to be deepened. Let me say that again. Obedience is not a list to be accomplished, but it is a relationship to be deepened. He goes on to say this, Do all things without grumbling or dispute, that you may be blameless and innocent. Look, again, what does true humanity look like? True humanness, true humanity is expressed in humility, in obedience, in love, and in unity. It is only at that place that we do these two things that he calls us to do in here. It is only in that place that we shine as lights to the world and we rejoice with one another. When we say, it's my prerogative, I do what I want to do, we are no longer human. But when we say and believe that we rest in Christ, and in that resting in Christ, I attain and look to the interest of all those that God puts in my life, not to the sacrifice of my health, not to the sacrifice of my well-being, but I move towards them first and foremost, then we step into what true humanness is. And in that amazing transformation that God does, our prerogative becomes one that seeks the good of all those around us. Our prerogative comes to the place where we delight in all those we encounter. And in that prerogative, we stand and rejoice as we live for them. Let's pray. Father God, let these words be your words. Let them bring you glory and honor. If they are not your words, we ask that they will fade away, but if they are, that they will take root in our hearts and bring you glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.